Okay, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you pick? And I, I want you to respond. I mean, I, not all at once, but somebody tell me, what superpower would you pick? Invisible. Who said that? Chantel. Well, where you're sitting, you're not invisible. I just want you to know. Okay, I'd like to be invisible. Somebody else tell me, what would you? What? Super speed, super fast. Okay. Somebody else. Is this side of the room? Do y'all want to be anything, have any powers? The power to what? Is that coming? Is that from you, Margaret, up there? To visit he- heaven, okay? To, to visit heaven. And here's some good news. Eventually, you're all going to get to, if you know Christ. Somebody else, a superpower. Okay. Making multiples of yourself, cloning yourself. Yeah. That would be an, yeah, so you could be a lot of different places, right, at the same time. Okay, all right. Some, somebody right here. What? Oh, flying. Yeah, flying. I thought you said lying. And I say, I already got that one. We've already got that one. Uh, flying, okay. Fly, all right. Uh, somebody else, a superpower. Teleport. All right, so you could just suddenly go to some other place, all right? But you would never teleport out of a a sermon when I'm preaching, would you? Uh, Somebody else, a superpower you could have? What? A time machine. Okay, did that come from the balcony or where did that come from? Okay, balcony, okay. A time machine, okay. All right, somebody, so you could go back to any period of time that you you wanted to, or forward to some period uh, of time. Don't go forward, you'll get depressed. Uh, somebody else, there was some, some fo- yeah, in the very back. Mind reading. That would be a superpower that is depressive, isn't it? You imagine you walk up and say, oh, how you doing? But you read their mind, they're saying, oh, Lord, I can't believe that they, I've got to talk to them. Somebody else, a superpower. What other superpowers? Healing. Healing. All right. Okay, that's good. You could, you could make a lot of lives better, couldn't you if, you, if you could touch and heal somebody? All right, you've already had your time. Sit down. You see you're making multiples of yourself over there. Somebody else. Super strength. Super strong. Uh, so you, so strength would never be an issue for you. Anybody else? Anything else? Super intelligent. Who said that? Super intelligence. Okay. So, I mean, you'd be like the smartest person around or always the smartest person in the room at least, right? Okay. Nothing new. That's nothing new. Is that what you said, Matt? That's nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that. You probably just illustrated that you don't have that superpower (laughs) with that statement. (laughs) All right, anybody else? A superpower, if you could have any superpower. Well, this was actually a survey that was taken by a major newspaper in this country several years ago. And as I was working on this message, I came across the survey 
And that was the question I asked. If you could have any supernatural superpower, what would it be? Here, here's the list, okay? You ready? Number one, number one, 28% of the respondents said to be able to read minds. That was number one. 15%, this was number two, 15% said to fly, Lindsay. They wanted to fly. Uh, 11% said to be invisible, Chantel, okay? Um, and uh, 9% said to produce, uh, uh, to possess super strength, all right? And then 1% <laughs> to walk through walls. Boom. <laughs> Wow, what a superpower. How cool. I just walked through a wall. Okay. You know, uh, but now as we talked last week, if you are born again, you're a born again believer in Christ and you have actually been given a supernatural power. And that power is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's a spirit enabled gift. And it's important for us to know these things because the gifts that you have is your part in carrying on the work of God and listen and for you to be fulfilled in your own life and to help fulfill the work of the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 12 today, I want to continue talking with you about this matter of spiritual gifts. And next week, I'm going to have the final message in this series. I'm going to talk again about spiritual gifts. There's that much in the scripture about your spiritual gifts. And next, next week, I'm going to talk about individual gifts. Uh, and hopefully that'll give you some clarity about understanding that. But Paul is talking about, there are three passages I told you in the New Testament that relate to this matter of gifts. There's the Romans, we looked at last week. There's 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, 14 really are all talking about this whole idea of your giftedness. And then there's a passage in the book of Ephesians that talks about that as well. But today I want us to focus in, again, a kind of a bird's eye view of this whole matter of spiritual gifts. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning. As we honor God's word, beginning in verse 1, chapter 12, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, these believers there, and this is what he says. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you, that means before you were believers or followers of Christ, when you were pagans, you were led astray to moot, moot idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth about the spiritual gifts. Help us to understand them more thoroughly. And Lord, uh, deploy them in our lives so that we may uh, fulfill the mission you've given us and find the fulfillment and the satisfaction that you've created us to experience in your Holy Spirit. 
So instruct us, teach us, correct us, transform us. And Father, if any in this place or any that are listening to me do not know you, cause them today to turn their life over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, I think there's a lot of frustration in the lives of many Christians today. I think many Christians are living unfulfilled lives. And some of the frustration is, frankly, it's their own fault. It's just pure disobedience to the Word of God. They want the benefits of the relationship without having to obey Him. And I think there's a lot of uh, unfulfilled, frustrated Christians because of their disobedience. Secondly, I think there are a lot of frustrated Christians because uh, they're ignorant of the Word of God. They really don't know. They don't spend enough time in God's Word to really understand what God is talking about for their life. And then I also believe that there's a lot of frustration because many Christians don't understand the subject that we're talking about. They don't understand spiritual gifts. And so there's a frustration because they don't quite get what God has created them for because they haven't understood how God has wired them, how God has made them, and the gift that God has endowed them with. And when you don't use your spiritual gifts, you're going to struggle to mature as a believer. All right? Using your gift is part of the maturing process in faith. And if you don't deploy the spiritual gifts that God has given to you, then guess what? You're going to struggle to mature in the faith. You're also going to struggle to live in victory because this is a part of the normal Christian life that is using our spiritual gift or gifts. I was asked in between services by some dear friends that were visiting uh, our church. I was asked by them, do you believe that a person can have more than one gift? And my answer is yes, I do. But I know you have at least one. How many more you may have, I don't think God endows you with a whole bunch of them, but, but there's nothing definitively that says you only get one or that you get three or whatever it is. But the fact is you get at least one and it is, it is designed to help you be and do what God created you for. And if you don't do that, you will struggle to live in victory. You will also struggle to experience the joy of your faith. You know, the greatest joy in your Christian life comes when you're right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. It doesn't matter if other people around you are or are not. If you want to be fulfilled, you be in the middle of God's will. And how, part of being in the middle of God's will is allowing the Spirit of God to work out through you by the the use of your spiritual gifts, all right? So there's great joy uh, in our faith when we uh, are exercising our spiritual gifts. And um, so that's why we need to discover our spiritual gifts and get a ministry, Uh, get a ministry. And I I said last week, somebody said to me, uh, man, it really helped me when you said to find your spiritual gifts, just start serving God. But it really is true if you say, I don't know what it is, I don't know how, just start, find some place to start serving God. And guess what you will, if you'll watch yourself and you understand the gifts, we'll talk specifically about those gifts next week, but you'll start seeing that's who, that's who I am. That's the gift that I, I, I seem to express. No matter what you're doing, that gift will express itself through your service. I'll talk again more about that next week. But in every church, there are several kinds of people. There are what the, the, the growth experts and church uh, growth uh, uh, people tell us. They're what you might say are unlimited members. This is about 20% or less of a congregation. And these are the people that they seem to do everything. They give the most. They're most generous. Uh, they serve the most. It's why 80%, this is the Pareto principle, but it's true. 80% of the work in the church gets done by about 20% of the membership. 
And it really is true, I, I, or, or less. I've, I've, I've watched it as a pastor for many years, and it, it's really true. About 20% of the people are what we would call these unlimited members. They are fully engaged. They are fully devoted followers of Christ. And you can count on them, and you can call on them because uh, they'll do it, about 20% or less. The second uh, group they tell us is what they call the unengaged members. And this is uh, 70% or less of the congregation. And these people are connected to the family, so they're, they're part of the family but they just would prefer to kind of sit and take it all in and they are consumers instead of givers if that makes sense and and that doesn't mean they never give anything or they never do anything but by and large they're just pretty content to be spectators uh, of, of of the process and that's about 70 percent or less the pros tell us of the average uh, congregation then the third category is the unaware members these are the folks who are connected, but they're completely unaware of anything that God is doing. It's about 10% or less of average congregation. And so they, they kind of hit or, hit or miss in terms of their involvement. They may be there once. And by the way, listen to this stunning statistic that uh, came out before COVID. I, who knows what it's like now that COVID has come out. But it said the average, the, the person today in our culture considers themselves an active member in your church if they come once a quarter. That's where we've gotten to. Yeah, I'm active. I, let me tell you a funny story real quick. I'd been the pastor here for about five years. I've been, February will be 20 years. I'd been here about five years and I went to D Dillard's department store. And um, I had, I, I, I think I was buying a tie or something like that. And I went to check out and I struck up a conversation with the, the salesperson and, and I asked him, I said, uh, so are, are you a follower of Christ? And they said, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, everything. I said, well, wonderful. Do you have a church home? And this is what <laughs> they said back to me. He said, oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I said, well, what, wh where is that? And she, uh, she said, well, it's that, uh, um, it's that big church, you know, that big church, uh, uh, that big church over there on, uh, I said, on Fortner? She said, yeah, she had a, you know, with the pastor uh, who's got the white hair, my predecessor. I'd been the pastor here for five years. She said, that's my church. I said, well, are you, do you attend? And she said, oh, yeah. Well, I knew she hadn't attended in five years. I didn't have the heart to say, I'm the pastor, and my hair at that time was black. Now it's starting to gray. But my, she represents this. Every once in a while, it kind of hit, hit or miss. Now, tragically, most, most, they tell us, are in the second category. They're just unengaged. They're connected. They may be involved, but they're just kind of unengaged. And that's tragic. That's tragic for them, but it's tragic for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not benefiting by the use of their gifts and they're not finding the fulfillment that God created them to find in the deployment of those gifts. It's tragic because they're missing out on the fullness of serving God with their gifts. And it's tragic because, listen, the hour is late. And um, Satan has opened the floodgates of hell. Would you agree with that? What's going on in our world today? And... Um, as the, it's tragic because the end of the age, and I don't know when that is, but the end of the age is rushing toward us. And one day we're going to have to give an account. And so the later the hour, the more important, does that make sense? It is for us to be using our gifts for the glory of God. Dr. Adrian Rogers, before he died several years ago, he described what's going on in our world. He said, moral standards have fallen. He said, 
In all of my ministry, in all of my life, I've never seen the moral standards as low as they are, nor not only in America, but around the world. In America, he says, we've liquorized society, we've glamorized adultery, we've normalized homosexuality, and in our so-called God-blessed America, we've done all these things. And the sad thing, he writes, is that there's so much unconcern on the part of many who name the name of Christ as their Savior. And we sit in our services, and we listen to messages, and we go out... And we never, ever really get involved. You see, the fact is, we can't be content just to sit and soak. God created our lives to count and to make a difference. And, and frankly, if you're tired of just sitting around and just drawing a breath and drawing a salary and just fighting to get by, then let me ask you one question this morning. Do you really want your life to count? And I'm not just talking about in this life. We, I think we put too much emphasis on being something in this life and, and achieving stuff in this life. I'm not against any of those things, but we lose the eternal perspective if we're not careful. When I say, do you really want your life to count? Look, make it count in this life. Impact people. But I, I pray that for my grandson. I pray that for the, the baby that my daughter is carrying. I pray those things for them, that they'll have an impact in this life. But listen, the real question is, if you want your life to count, use it now for eternity. Because see, this life will pass faster than you can imagine. I told my wife the other day, I said, does it seem like weeks go by faster the older I get? seems like the time goes by faster and faster and faster. And listen, that's why you and I, either the end of the age is coming or we're going to eternity. And so our lives have to count right now. Do you want your life to count right now? Well, part of that is life in the spirit. And part of that means that you say, I'm not going to be content just to sit around and take it in and endure until one day I die and go on. Because we will give an account to God. You know, the parable of the talents, I told you last week, it's one of my favorites. Go read the parable of the talents. I preached on it many times. It's not, we misconstrue it to be all about, well, whatever your resources financially are. That's just a part of it. It's about the stewardship of your life. So that when the master returns one day, you can present back to him the gifts that he has entrusted to you. I mean, this is what it's about. And one day we're going to give an account. Don't underestimate the fact that you and I are going to be accountable for the gifts of God that he has entrusted to us. He's called you to serve him. He's equipped you to serve him. Listen, God will never ask you or demand of you that you serve him in some way that he has not fully equipped you to serve him. Don't ever worry. Say, well, I think God is moving this or God is directing me to this, but I don't have the ability to do that. Well, the fact is you probably don't have the ability. You might have some natural gifts or talent, but, but it's not about you. It's about him in you, and it's about you being surrendered to him. And to effectively live life in the spirit, that's the subject of this entire series, it is essential that you grasp the importance of your spiritual gift. So here's what I want to do. I want to expand on what I talked about last week just a little bit, and I want to show and reinforce this whole matter of your spiritual gifts. The first thing I want you to say on your outline there is I want you to notice the clarity about spiritual gifts. Paul talks about this in verse 1 when he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some of your translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
And he's talking about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about these things or uninformed about these things. I'm trying to clarify these things. And if you read carefully, Paul, in these chapters where he's talking about the spiritual gifts in the church at Corinth, you can see that he had concern because there was obvious abuse and misuse of their gifts. And I frankly believe that most of it was a result of ignorance. And that's why he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts. But he was watching and they were misusing them. You might even say uh, they were defiling them or, and abusing them. And so he begins this conversation about gifts uh, by trying to help them uh, help correct the lack of accurate information they had about their the gifts. How do we know that? Because notice how he talks about in verse 2, when you were pagans, you were led astray by moot idols, how, however you were led. Heresy had been characteristics of their life before Christ, okay? They followed pagan gods, uh, idols that couldn't speak and that sort of thing. And what was happening is that this heresy had also made its way into the church. And Paul feared that the heresy that had characterized their life before would mislead them about the gifts of the Spirit. So he says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. You know, 2,000 years later from when Paul wrote this, 2,000 years later, there's still a lot of confusion and there's still a lot of ignorance about the gifts. And that kind of confusion can lead to the misuse or the abuse of spiritual gifts. So he's going to provide clarity. Why? Well, because a person can be ignorant that there is such a thing as spiritual gifts. There are a lot of a lot of folks who uh, are followers of Christ that are just completely ignorant to the fact that there are even th a thing called spiritual gifts. And they confuse something that we talked about last week. They confuse natural. If you say to them, oh, you, have, you are gifted. You have, you have these spiritual gifts. A lot of Christians will even say, yeah, it's just kind of a natural ability for me and everything. Spiritual gifts are not your natural abilities, and there's a lot of confusion. And I've had people tell me, yeah, I guess this is, you know, my, my talents and these are my, my abilities. Those are also gifts from God, okay? But they are not the spiritual, supernatural, superpower gifts that God entrusts to a believer. I, I'll tell you, Paul wants them to have clarity because there's another group of people, and they know that God gifts his children, but, he, but that person may not know what special gifts God has given them. So they know, they believe that God gives gifts, and, and they know that they have a spiritual gift. They just don't know what it is, and they're just ignorant in that sense. And if they don't know what it is, it's hard to deploy the gift, all right? And then, of course, there, there are those who, who know what their gifts are, their spiritual gifts. They know what, what they are, but they don't know how to properly use them. This is where the Corinthian believers were. They knew they had these supernatural spiritual gifts from God. They just didn't know how to properly use them or use them in line with the will of God. Now, so if you're ignorant to how they operate or how you deploy them or uh, how you discover them, what is the solution to ignorance? Here it is. Study Study the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved, the, uh, uh, Paul writes. Study the Word of God under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about academic study. You know, I'm going to study this academically and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But this is studying it under the control of the Spirit of God. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that the Spirit has inspired all of the Scripture. In other words, he's the author. 
So think about this. When you go to read the Bible, always ask the author to make it clear. Always ask them, when I, I read, I said, Spirit, would you, would you help me understand something? That's why you can read a passage today and you say, ah, that doesn't really make, make, and then you'll read it six months from now and suddenly it jumps off the page at you. Why? Because the Spirit of God in you says, this is something I want to clarify or I want to speak to you about. And suddenly a passage that you've read maybe 15 times before becomes incredibly powerful to you because guess what? The spirit, the author inside says, now I'm going to make that word come alive. How, how does all that happen? You got to study it. You want to understand the spiritual gifts. Study those things under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, evidently, if you read, well, the entire book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, there were some strange things going on in the church. Uh, and that's what prompted Paul to write, because here's what the devil loves to do. The devil loves to take something that is good, that's from God, and defile it within the family of God. And, and that's what he was trying to do with spiritual gifts and their exercise in the church at Corinth. So there was this, this understanding that God had given them gifts, so the devil takes it and he tries to twist it up and defile it and confuse them, and there was confusion in the church and calls them to abuse the gift. He still does that today. Several years ago, there began to be reports of some unusual revival movements around the country. And I, I studied this and talked with some, some firsthand uh, people that had been in, involved in some of those things. For example, in some places there were reports of people barking like dogs and oinking like pigs and mooing like cows and making other animal sounds and, and all uh, claiming it was an expression of the Holy Spirit. In others, they were laughing uncontrollably and acting like drunks and completely out of control. And people were saying, I remember it well, people were saying, ah, finally, this is revival. This is revival. But let me tell you what is happening in Corinth. This kind of thing. I don't know if they were barking and oinking and all that kind of thing, but it was, the, it was a, 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 a move that they were claiming was of the Spirit of God that, that was expressing itself in bizarre manners. And Paul is writing to remind them that they were acting, in fact, just like they had acted when they were living in their pagan days and when they had been led astray by the worship of pagan idols. In fact, some of them were claiming a move of God in their life and they were so deluded, notice this, look at verse 3, that they were cursing Jesus himself. Look at verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one, look at this, speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. They were claiming to be uh, speaking in the Spirit of God and they were cursing Jesus. And Paul says that doesn't happen. And he, maybe the excuse would have been, well, I, I just couldn't help myself. I got carried away by the Spirit and I lost control of myself. Let me tell you something about the move of God. The move of God doesn't take you out of control. It brings you under control. The control of the Holy Spirit. And confusion is not the byproduct of the Holy Spirit's control. Now listen to me very carefully. Confusion is not the byproduct of being under the control of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were to go over just a couple of chapters, chapter 14, verse 33, Paul writes, and he's still, the bigger context is still about the spiritual movement of God in our lives and the gifts. And this is what he writes, for God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. 
You know what the devil loves to create? Not peace. He loves to create chaos and confusion. But that's the opposite from God. And if you go on further in chapter 14, Paul writes, but let all things be done, listen to this, decently and in order. The context, the large context is still the working out of the move of the Spirit and the gifts of God. So Paul is informing and he's educating them about the real nature of spiritual gifts and and the use of those gifts and the misuse. You want to know how you can tell if a church is filled with the Spirit of God? You can tell if your spiritual gifts are being expressed properly. Here's how you can know. They will always make Jesus preeminent. When the gifts are being expressed, when your gifts are being expressed, they will always elevate Jesus. They will always make him prominent. There are a lot of folks who, who claim to be using their spiritual gifts and they're drawing attention to themselves. The exercise of spiritual gifts will always make Jesus preeminent. That's how to know if a church is filled with the Spirit of God. And that's how to distinguish between distorted gifts and divinely expressed gifts. But here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. I want you to see not just the clarity about spiritual gifts, but I want you to see the variety of spiritual gifts. I'll talk about this for just a moment, but just suffice to say next week, I'm going to talk about those specific gifts. Paul says this in verse 4, look at this. Now, there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. The word for gift in that passage, if you want to circle it, if you want to make a note, the word for gift there is charismata. That's the Greek word, charismata. It is derived from the Greek word charis, the word for grace. So we have been given, here's here's what he's saying, we've been given grace gifts. Now, many of you know our daughter's named Charis. And if you ever wonder where we came up with that name, this verse is where we derived her name from, Charis. And I literally just translated the Greek, Kappa, Alpha, Rho, Iota, Sigma. Charis, that's how it looks in the Greek. And it means an unmerited gift from God. An unmerited gift from God. By the way, you know, in previous generations, people were often named uh, with a specific purpose, not just, uh, this is a popular name and we like this name. They were named on purpose. They were named after someone or they were uh, given a name that had a specific meaning. And uh, hopefully that name would transfer meaning to the individual and the way they would uh, see themselves and live their life. When our daughter was young, we taught her uh, why we named her Karis. We taught her, it means you're a gracious gift from God to us. You were God's gift. And when she was young, she was kind of cocky about it. If you were to ask her when she was little, what is your name? Because people would say, now I've heard several people that have named children this uh, since she was born. But at the time, there just weren't too many. And people would ask her, Karis, that's an unusual name. Uh, And she would just look at them kind of full of pride and go, it means God's gift. God's gift. She's a little proud about it, but maybe she ought to be. But we taught her, we want you to understand that, that we have received you uh, as a gift from God, an unmerited gift from God. Spiritual gifts are unmerited gifts from God. They're given. Listen, listen to this. They are given to you. They are not earned and they are not learned. You got that? They are unmerited gifts from God to his children for his glory and for his work. I pray, you know, for my grandson 
uh, I pray for that little baby in my daughter's womb and they were just here and I pray it again, Lord, help this child to understand your purpose for it when it can. And help this child to make a difference in this world because I believe this, that God's just not in the business saying, I just want to produce babies. I'm producing babies with purpose. If they get it and I want them to get it and I pray for that. So though there's a variety of different gifts, there's only one source, the Holy Spirit. And here's a key thought for you. The Spirit activates the gift in you. You don't activate it. I recently added a new uh, computer program to my computer. And, uh, you know, before I could use it, you only have limited use of it until you register it. I have to register it. I registered it. And then they sent me what they called an activation code. And when I plug the activation code in, wow, the whole thing becomes different, what you can do and all of that sort of thing. It's an activation code. And by the way, it's exclusively for me. You can take the same software and you say, well, I'll just use Brother Ray's activation code and it's not going to work for you because the code is specific to me. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking the designer of the software is key because he has the activation code to make the software work for me. And that's what the Spirit of God in you does. It activates the specific gift or gifts that God has given to you. Now, there are people who try to fake the gifts, and you can do it, but you cannot live authentically, spiritually, or legitimately without the Spirit of God activating the gifts of God. Does that make sense? And, and by the way, just as a footnote, I, I'm often asked, do you believe in all the gifts? I believe in all of the spiritual gifts. There are some uh, uh, groups who say, well, I, I, I'm a cessationist. The cessationist believes that all the gifts that have uh, kind of a supernatural manifestation uh, cease with the age of the apostles. Now, I don't believe that. I believe in all the gifts. And let me tell you why I believe in all the gifts and I'm not a cessationist. It is because I can't find that in the scripture. I can't find anywhere in the scripture that it says after the apostles died, the gifts ceased. You just can't find it there. It's not even implied there. Now, I believe there are some gifts that are way uh, overly abused. But I believe in all of them. And there's essentially two categories. Write this down, okay? They're what we call motivational gifts. Motivational gifts. Motivational gifts are, are the gifts that are practiced regularly as we walk in the Spirit. They're things like helping, uh, administration, teaching, faith, wisdom. These are all spiritual gifts, among others. They're motivational gifts. And, and so uh, there, uh, as we walk in the spirit, these motivational gifts, some people believe that, that uh, everybody has a motivational gift. I'm one of those. You have one of these motivational gifts we'll talk about next week. But the manifestation gifts, that's the second category. You know, that's things like healing and tongues and miracles and prophecy and those kinds of things. And I believe in those too, but I believe they're, they're overly abused today because people want to to sometimes try to fake them and fabricate them to look, uh, to give the appearance of super spirituality. And the manifestation gifts, I believe, are given in unique moments. And, and they are given from the Spirit of God. They're not self-generated, but there's a unique reason or a unique moment that that gift is manifested by the Spirit of God in your life. And it has purpose and it has timing. And so a manifestation gift comes at the right time for a specific reason and a specific purpose. 
And remember, we'll talk about those gifts next week. So Paul gives clarity regarding the gifts. That's the first thing he does. And then he shows us that there are a variety of gifts. But there's one more thing I want to show you this morning before we're gone. And that is, I want you to see the sanctity of spiritual gifts. Now look at verse 11 in your Bible, the sanctity of spiritual gifts. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Spiritual gifts are sanctified, holy endowments from God. And this is one of the most important truths that I could share with you if you want your life to really count is to understand that your gift, your spiritual gifts are from God. They are for God and that's what makes them holy. And to, to not use them according to his distribution, to misuse them is to treat them as earthly or no different than just any other kind of, of access you have to something. To treat them that way is to, is to uh, minimize their source, and it is actually an act of irreverence. Your gift is holy because God has given it to you, and, and our different gifts, when they're combined together, they bring him glory, they maximize the work of God, they bring satisfaction and fulfillment in our life, and it mean, that's why it means all of the gifts are very important, but all of the gifts are holy. Some are more visible than others. We talked about that last week. Go get that message. Some are more visible than others, but all of them are holy, and they're holy because they come from God. Anything that comes from God is sanctified. It is holy. And so that's why it's so important. That's why you're going to give an account of them. Because God is entrusting you with something that is very holy. And so one day, what did you do with the holy gift that I gave you? Your body is a temple. If you're a believer, the Bible says your body is a temple of God. Why? Because it's indwelled by the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is indwelling the temple, then guess what? The gifts of the Spirit become just as holy, right? from the temple. And so you have to understand how important that is. And that means all of us have this role that we have to play. A, a church that is weak, a church that is ineffective is, is weak or ineffective uh, oftentimes because its members just aren't using their gifts for God. Or because, because they're trying to, they're tr the, the, the members of the body are trying to use gifts that they don't have. Did you know God doesn't want you using, trying to use a spiritual gift that you don't have? God wants you, however, to use the spiritual gift or gifts that he has provided you and endowed you with, holy, sanctified gifts. He wants you to maximize the use of those. And because the Spirit of God lives in you, if you surrender to the control of the Spirit, guess what? He will be able to magnify himself through the gift and the use of the gift in your life. God has given every church body everything it needs to do his work. Ridgecrest has in our congregation, we have everything we need to be a healthy, effective body. And I thank God, I think we're pretty healthy. Do I think we're perfectly healthy? No. Do I think all the gifts are, are that we're using all the gifts in, in conjunction with one another? Uh, no. But I think we're pretty healthy, but we can be healthier. And the more a congregation learns to use and unify their gifts, guess what? The more work God can do through them. Listen, if all of us take our place in the body, uh, functioning in the role that we've been created for, 
some absolutely amazing things will happen. For example, we will be unified in an unprecedented way. Paul speaks of the, the unity amidst diversity in the gifts. And when, when we get that and we're functioning by our gifts, there will be unprecedented unity. I'll tell you what else there will be. There will be the ability to accomplish the work of God that we've been entrusted. We'll be able to accomplish that. And then we'll see revival personally and corporately because the priority becomes the kingdom of God. We will experience personal satisfaction and joy. Because we'll be living out of the fullness of the Spirit. We will have an abundance of resources. Financially, we'll have more than enough to fund the work of God. We'll have all the manpower we need to do the work uh, that God has uh, called us to. We won't have to beg for money. We won't have to beg for servants. We will experience new and powerful ministries. People will not only discover their place in the body, but when they do that, they will discover their ministry as a result of it. And then we will be entrusted by God with more because of faithfulness. He that is faithful in a little, I will entrust more and more and more and more and more. Friend, listen, if you're not using your spiritual gift, then you're not obeying God. Your spiritual gifts are to be employed and you suffer and the church suffers and the kingdom is hindered when we don't use our spiritual gifts. Now, God doesn't expect you, as I've said, to be something that you're not. He, he does, but he does expect you to be everything that you are gifted to be for his body and for his kingdom, for your fulfillment in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why life in the Spirit is about spirit, spiritual gifts. Let me give you an example, a practical way to think about how gifts all work together. Suppose you're at a, you're at a, a dinner and, you, you know, you've eaten the entree and and now it's time for dessert. And the host brings out a dessert and sets it on the edge of the table. But there's a problem. The, ta uh, the, the dessert falls off of the table and, you know, disaster. This beautiful dessert. Everybody was waiting for it. And boom, there it is in, in the floor. Now, let me kind of give you an idea of how different gifts would respond to that. So the person who has the gift of prophecy would say, well, that's what ha happens when you're not careful. A person who has a gift of mercy goes, oh, don't feel bad. Anybody could do that. A person who has a gift of service says, hey, let me help you clean it up. A person who has a gift of teaching says the reason it fell was it was too heavy on one side. Next time, put it in the middle. The person who has a gift of exhortation says, you know, from now on, let's just serve the dessert first and let's put it in the middle of the table so it won't fall off. And the person who has the gift of giving says, y'all just wait a minute, don't worry about it, I'll go buy a new dessert. And the person who has the gift of administration says, hey Jim, would you get a mop? Hey Sue, would you help pick up the dessert? Hey Mary, will you go fix us some more dessert? It's a great illustration because it illustrates perfectly how all of these different gifts are necessary and how all of them work together. The, the fact is, in the spirit Life in the Spirit is dramatically affected by the employment of your gifts with the other gifts. It's what makes it work. It is said that Napoleon, one time, he, he looked at a, a map of China, and he had his generals all gathered with him. He took his pointer, and he pointed at, at China and, and all the area, land mass, and, and, and the hordes of its people, and he said to his generals gathered there, he said, gentlemen, 
There lies a sleeping giant. Let him sleep. For if he awakens, he will disturb the entire world. Let him sleep. That's what I think the devil likes to say to the church. I think it's what the devil would say to Ridgecrest. Ridgecrest, sleep on. We got to let him sleep. That's what the devil would say. Maybe to his demons, let them sleep. Because they are a sleeping giant. And, and if they're ever stirred, I mean really stirred, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn Dothan upside down. If they ever get it, they ever put it all together, it could disturb and turn a place upside down. God has given you a spiritual gift. And the, listen, the only way that you can use your spiritual gift is to make sure you have one. And the only way you can have one is to be saved. And the only way you can be saved is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about. I want to ask you a question. Can you say in your heart of hearts that I know Jesus Christ? I know Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and because I know him, I know that he has gifted me. And I want to discover my gift. If I haven't, I want to use my gift. Would you just say something like this to him? Lord Jesus, help me deploy the gift, the spiritual gift or gifts that you've given me. Help me to discover them. Help me to serve you. Help me, especially right now when things are uncertain, to, to understand that, God, I'm willing to study and pursue you so that I might understand what your spirit has enabled me to be and do. Would you call out to him like that? Others of you, perhaps in this live audience or by live stream, you're saying, well, you know, I don't think I have a gift, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I know Christ. If you don't know Christ, you don't have a spiritual gift. And God created you to know him. That's why Christ came into this world. He died on a cross. He loves you and he wants this relationship. And with that relationship come, comes the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes the fruit of the Spirit we talked about a few weeks ago and also comes the gift, the gifts of the Spirit. And you can receive Him right where you are in this live audience, by live stream or television. You can just call out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I don't know. I don't know for sure if I'm saved. And I don't want to go another day without knowing. And so I call on you right now. Lord Jesus, Forgive me of my sins. I know you love me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I know you love me. Lord Jesus, I invite you. I receive you. Come into my life. Transform me. Make me new, just as you've promised in your word. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit that comes. And then, Father, let me begin this journey with you of, of discovering it, deploying it, and using it for, for your good and for the purpose you created me. I receive you as my Savior. Lord, I thank you for this day and this, this moment in which we can, we can call upon you, knowing that you hear us. You've already promised that in your word. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray for those who, who called out for salvation today to receive you as their Savior, Father, that you'll begin this new and transforming work in their life. And for those who say, God, I want to employ my, my, my gift. I don't want to be in the 70% of spectators. I want to be in the 20% of those who are fully devoted and fully following you. Help me, Father, uh, to renew my commitment to seek and to serve you and to use the gifts that you have given me for your glory and, and the purpose I was created. Now, Lord, I thank you for those who've called on you today. 
bless them. Help them as they take next steps. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But if you will look this way, those of you who are watching us by live stream, thank you for tuning in today. Those of you in our live audience, thank you for uh, being here. I want to just give you a couple of closing uh, uh, thoughts. If you called on Christ today to be your Savior, live stream, live audience, if you did that, would you do something for us? Would you let us know about your decision? You can just text this word, Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to this number, 334-384-8080. 334-384-8080. Just text that word, Pastor, to us, and we'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. Uh, maybe you say, I already know Christ is my Savior, but I'd like to be a part of the Ridgecrest family. And whether it's live stream or live audience, you say, I'd like to be a part of this family. And uh, you can join our congregation. As many have done, just text that word, join, to that number, 334-384-8080. And say, I want to join. We'll take it from there. Don't you worry about it. And uh, one of our staff will follow up to get uh, appropriate information. But you, you just let us know. Maybe you need to be baptized. You know, we've had people that have told us, I need to be baptized. I'm saved. I've never been baptized. You text that word to us, baptized. And we'll, again, we'll get it. And we'll schedule that when it works best for you. So I hope you'll do that. In this live audience, you can take your worship folder. You'll see on the back if you pray to receive Christ or you want to join Ridgecrest. I've got my pocket right here. One of those a man handed me as he was leaving the first service to say, hey, I, I, I want to be a part of this family. And uh, you can do the same. You can drop it in the offering basket. You don't have to give it to me. But you can let us know about your decision to be a part of the Ridgecrest family. I'm so glad you've been here today. Listen, Thanksgiving is coming. No Wednesday night service. Chuck will uh, reaffirm that. But I want to say this to you. You know, this has been one crazy season, hasn't it? I have to tell you, as the pastor it has. But I was thinking yesterday and I was praying. I said, but Lord, there's still so much I have to be thankful for. And I want to urge you in the next few days to think about the good things that God has done in your life. There's so much bad stuff to focus on. If we're not careful, I think the devil will get our brains on that. I want to encourage you to, to carve out some time to say thank you, Lord, on this Thanksgiving week. Because there's so much, so much. Look, if nothing else, say thank you that you saved me. If you're saved, that's an incredible thing that God has done. And so find ways to say thank you with your family. Remember the Advent bags. Chuck will tell you a little bit more about that. But I love you. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and I'll see you back uh, next Sunday. Chuck, you got it.